Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. What can we do if we're in a place where God's glory is departed? Because God's glory can depart from your life. It can depart from a ministry. But here's the thing. When God's glory departs, it really is an indication that you have changed. You have moved away. It's it's never God that moves away from us, you guys. It's always us that have moved away from the Lord. God said, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So whenever we find that we've become distant from the Lord, it's not the Lord, but us who have moved away. When was the last time you felt far from God? When you stop listening for God's voice and you stop obeying God, His voice will begin to become more and more faint in your heart as your focus shifts to things happening in the material world around you. Today, Pastor Bill encourages you to not lose sight of what is important, to continue in obedience so that you might not lose the guiding presence of God in your life. The Lord doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your entire life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 4 as he continues his message, Ichabod. This is powerful, right? They yelled so loud. I would love to see what that felt like, that the camp would yell so loud that the ground is shaking. That sounds cool. That sounds powerful. It's just not powerful enough. That's what we're going to find out. It doesn't equate the power of God. It doesn't equate God's power, God's strength, or God's favor, although it looks really awesome. So it may have sounded powerful. It may have looked like God was doing something in the camp of Israel, but we're going to see, again, this is just man-manufactured emotion apart from worship, repentance, and devotion, and it'll prove to be ineffective when they get into real battle in just a moment. Now, the Philistines heard this shout, and it impacted them. Look at verses 6 to 9. It says, now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid and they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us for such a thing has never happened before. Again, they said, woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And look at what they concluded in verse nine. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Now, I think this thing backfired on the Israelites, right? They made all this noise. They got no power, but they made all this noise and all this ruckus. The enemies heard it and it made them afraid. The worst thing you can do, you guys, I mean, it's one thing to, to fight somebody. I don't know if you guys here, you know, fight back in the day or whatever, but I don't know if you ever fought a scared person. A scared person is dangerous. If they scared and willing to fight, you might mess up. They, you know, something Mike Tyson would say as they interview him, you know, I'm a Mike Tyson fan, you know, so all my childhood, I, I watched every Mike Tyson fight. My mom would order him for me. I was a fan fan of Mike. And Mike would say, I always fought. I was always afraid of losing. Always afraid of, of this being the guy. So, you know, a lot of that, Mike was like, man, I was, I was fighting afraid. When I looked at him, he looked ferocious. But he's like, nah, I was, that was fear. I was hitting him like that because I'm afraid he might beat me. And so fear is a powerful thing. And so with the, the camp of Israel, with their plan, they've caused the, the Philistine camp to say, wait a minute. 
God, they, they heard about the ark going there. They, they know what God did, did before. The Philistines have some history on the God of Israel. They know he's no joke. And they say, wow, now he's with them. They don't say, let's recant. Let's fall back. And you need to know this about your enemy. The, our enemy doesn't fall back. He'll just gird. He'll just, he's going to dig in deep. I, they said this. I, I did a men's a retreat years ago. And I took these verses where the enemies of God are saying, fight like men. Now, that, that's kind of, that might be offensive in our culture where people, well, there's no difference between, yes, there is. There is. He didn't say, fight like men or women. <laughs> you don't want to tell your camp, hey guys, let's gird yourselves like girls. <laughs> that's not what you want to say with your makeup and powder and stuff. You know, they said, fight like men. And they basically dug their heels in and said, look, we're not going away. I heard all the noise. I heard all the, and I heard they got the ark with them. And they said, no, we're going to go harder now. Here's the problem. The enemies are now fighting out of fear. They're going to go harder. And Israel is in no better condition to have this battle. They haven't got right with the Lord. They haven't repented of their sin. They don't have the presence of God. They just have the ark. They have the thing that represents the presence of God. Throw this out to you guys. What would you guys, what are some things that you guys would think about in our today that would represent the presence of God? Any things you guys can think of? Church represent the presence of God. What else? Okay, the Bible represent his presence. Anything else you guys think of? Things that things that represent God's presence. The cross, okay. Uh, we got like little symbols, the cross, the doves. Um, lot, lot, there, there are little things in our culture that people may look at those things as it's representative of, we don't really have an ark anymore, right? You know, God now dwells in, uh, he dwells in us by his spirit. So we're not looking at the ark or any of those things. But for them, at this time, they the ark really represented to them the actual presence of the living God. And though it's represented by the ark and they have the ark, they, they don't actually have the presence of the Lord. God is not with them. Because they're not with God in what they're doing. And so I just think I, I think there's such a lesson here in not settling for the things that represent God. I do church. I do the external things. I, I read my Bible. I sang the song. I prayed with someone. I, I did the external things. But God is beckoning you for the real things that he wants to do, the things he wants to do in your heart and your soul, the areas he wants to cleanse, where, where he wants you to repent and change. God's like, let's do that. Let's do the real work. Let, let me touch you in a real way. Let me bring real transformation into your heart. Don't settle for the external when I want to do something internal and life changing. And so they go down with the ark. The Philistines are turned up now and they're ready for war. They're ready to fight like men. Then it says verse 10 and 11. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and fled. Every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. So this battle goes worse than the first battle, right? They had the first battle without prayer, without seeking the Lord, without consulting God. and They lost 4,000 lives. Now they go again into battle without prayer just conferring among themselves, um, coming up with a nifty little plan to bring the Ark of the Covenant with them. Now 30,000 people are dead and Israel is embarrassed. Every man got chased back home into his tent and 30,000 men of Israel, foot soldiers, died in the battle. Also, 
as Samuel had prophesied, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died there in this battle. Now, again, I have to say this before we move on. This could have been avoided by what? Prayer. But they didn't do it yet, right? Prayer and, prayer and repentance could have, could have changed the whole dynamic here, but they haven't arrived at the place of prayer or repentance yet. And so we have more unnecessary loss of life at this point. So now we'll look at verse 12, 12 through 18. It says, then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day, and he came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. That was symbolic in that culture of mourning. So they would tear your clothes and put dirt on your head. It was symbolic of mourning. So you knew when this guy came as a messenger with torn clothes and dirt on his head, you knew that the battle had gone bad and that he had bad news. And so this guy comes with torn clothes and dirt on his head. Verse 13. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on his seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. It's almost like Eli knew this was a bad idea. And I sent the ark out like this. And he's sitting there trembling for news of what's happened with the ark of God. It says, and when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. So when this bad news messenger came with his bad news, the whole city cried out as they understood that they lost. They were defeated. Verse 14, when Eli heard the noise of the outcry. Now check this out. They made all that noise before, right, with no power. Now they're crying out. Now it's another outcry. Now there's noise in the camp of Israel again. The noise now is an outcry. And I just wonder, what if the noise in the Israel had been repentance and prayer? I think we hear something different now. But because it wasn't worship, it wasn't repentance, it wasn't prayer. It was flesh, cheering. And, you know, they were excited about their new plan without God. Now they're crying about how their plan without God went. And again, this is all their fault, right? They, they know the Lord. God has instructed them how to come before him. They just aren't choosing to do it God's way. And so uh, they keep suffering losses. And so again, it says in, in verse 14 now, so when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old. His eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle when I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, it's a number of things. It goes from bad to worse from here on out. Israel fled before the Philistines and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God has been captured. All bad. It's not, it's not done yet, right? Just the bad news is piling up. So he says, man, that Israel got chased home. There was a great slaughter of the people. 4,000 died. Your two sons are dead. And the enemies of God have captured the ark. They have this thing that belongs in the Holy of Holies that represents the presence of God. We, I mean, we, we've been without the presence. Now they have the thing that represents it's gone. They took it from us. I want you to think about that, right? Because God should have been, there should have been a lesson to them. One thing that God wanted Israel to know was they had a relationship with the true and living God and they lived in a culture where people worship idols. And so, you know, if your God can be stolen, that's not a God, amen? If your God can be taken away, you know, knocked over, burned up, you know, then it's like, why, why are you worshiping a thing that somebody could take from you? Um, and so Israel was always in a place where they had access to the true and living God 
And I, I'm sure it angered God that they would go after the idols. They would go after these false gods that they can't touch. They can't hear. They can't heal. They can't listen. They can't speak. And Israel would go after them. Well, now God is saying, look, now, now look, you guys turned the ark into a good luck charm. Now they took it. Now it's gone. Now you don't have me and you don't have the thing that you thought was representing me to you or representing my presence to you. Both are gone. And so they captured the ark in the battle. Now, verse 18. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel for 40 years. So I want you to note when he fell over, right? It wasn't when he heard they lost the battle. It wasn't even when he heard that his sons had died. When he heard that they had captured the ark, he says he just fell over backwards and he fell down and broke his neck. He says he was heavy and he broke his neck. And it, it tells us, it ends here saying that he had judged Israel for 40 years. And I wrote down in my notes, I say 40 years of service, but he didn't finish well. Something that we want to be you know, mindful of, you guys, and, and, and I, it's something that to me as I come to a new year, um, I want to finish well, right? I love the guys in the word who finish well. I think of the apostle Paul. And at the end of his life, think about this guy who lived a radical life for God. At the end of his life, he's in jail. He knows they're getting ready to chop his head off for his faith. And he says this, 2 Timothy, I finished the race. I fought the good fight. Now there's laid up for me the crown of life that God has for me and for all those who love his appearing. And I mean, just you hear a guy that he's not afraid of what's coming. He's like, I did my thing, y'all. What God gave me to do, I did that. Ready to go meet the Lord. That's how I want to go. I look at guys like Chuck Smith. And I think, man, he finished well. I just, I love his legacy. I love how he lived for the Lord and that he went, he just went all the way. He went down swinging for the Lord. You know, that guy in his last little stint of life, you know, he kept saying, Chuck, just, just sit down. He was like, nope, nope. He was preaching. That, he preached his last sermons with a, he had an oxygen tank with oxygen in his nose. He was like, I'm still good enough to preach. Well, sound a little different, but y'all going to get this word. You know what I mean? Like that to me. I admire it so, so, so much. Something that happened when I was at my old church. Uh, Chuck was up there in age and he had been invited out to speak on a Wednesday night. It was a special night that he was going to come speak. He, he had been my pastor's pastor. And so it was a big special night. Well, he fell down that day and broke his nose. And so obviously everybody would have understood had he not come. But he showed up anyway. And I'm thinking like, man, this dude is a G if I ever met one. And I'm like, and we're asking him like, bro, you could have stayed. He's like, no, nah, no, nah. I said I was going to be here and I'm good enough to come. He got little cotton balls in his thing. And he came with a broke nose and gave the word. I was like, man, my heart just I was at, I admire that this guy just I'm just he's just going for the Lord. I love the examples of guys that finish strong and they finish well, they all the way to the end for Jesus. That's what we want to do, guys. We want to want to live for the Lord now. We want to be devoted to God now. We want to be intimate and faithful with the Lord now and want to keep living that way until we go be with him. That's the way we want to go. We don't want to be like Eli. He had been warned, but he didn't heed it. Prophet just spoke to him, but he didn't change. And he, he, he pretty much ends his legacy uh, as somebody. He, he dies at the hand of God's judgment upon him for his disobedience, his unwillingness to do right by God in terms of managing his household 
and honoring God in the temple. He allowed his sons to bring dishonor to the Lord and God punished him and his sons for that. And he died. And that's the end of Eli. and His legacy ends there. Nobody looks to Eli and says, I'm going to give a message on fatherhood. And I'm going to talk about Eli. Nobody goes there. I did man lessons from who? Mordecai, I, not Eli, because there was nothing to say about Eli, you know. And so, you know, we want to finish strong. We want to take good examples. And um, he doesn't end well. And so, but we get it. We learn from his example uh, a couple things, right? When God spoke to him the first time, he should have repented. It's because he didn't repent that this happens. It's because when God spoke, he didn't respond that this happens. So when God speaks to you and when God speaks to me in correction or to redirect us, we need to listen to what the Lord is telling us. Amen. And we need to respond quickly and find ourselves back in a place of obedience to the Lord. So as you get done here, it feels like the chapter should end here. I wrote down on my thing, man, can, can it get any worse from here? It does. One more not your bad happened. So we're almost done with the bad, but we, we, we got to look at this last section. Look at verse 19. Now the daughter-in-law, Phineas' wife, was with child due to be delivered. Bad timing. So Phineas is dead. He was a jerk. But now his Phineas' wife, Eli's daughter-in-law, she's pregnant. And she's due to give birth while all this drama is happening in Israel. And it says, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. So when she got all this bad news, she went into labor. And verse 20 says, and about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said, do not fear for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. So. She just had a baby. The lady said, hey, you had a son. She didn't, she, didn't, she didn't regard it. She didn't say, yay, let me see him. She just, it was like nothing. This Noah celebration, she didn't regard what they said. Verse 21, then she named the child Ichabod. Everybody say Ichabod. It's an ugly name. It's just Ich. It starts with Ich. Ichabod. And it means, it means this, saying this, the glory, the glory has departed from Israel. And essentially, I mean, that's a mess. I, I, in that culture, they would name the kids based on, you know, something they saw or something that was happening. So I think what a terrible name to, you know, to get for a kid that you would be the one born right at this time. And your name means the glory has departed from Israel, Ichabod. And it says because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And so that's why I titled the chapter Ichabod, the glory has departed. I want to end with this note. I'm going to give a, a few little parallels. And what can we do if we're in a place where God's glory is departed? Because God's glory can depart from your life. It can depart from a ministry. But here's the thing. When God's glory departs, it really is an indication that you have changed. You have moved away. It's, not, it's never God that moves away from us, you guys. It's always us that have moved away from the Lord. God said, if you will draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So whenever we find that we've become distant from the Lord, it's not the Lord, but us who have moved away. And so maybe you're listening to this and you would say, you know what? I know that I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I'm not experiencing God's presence in the ways that I previously have. I'm not in the place where I need to be. I know that there are things that God has spoken to me about that I've not responded or yielded to or heeded. 
How do I get back into a place where I'm, I want to experience God's presence once again? I don't want to be rebellious. I don't want to be separated from the Lord. I want to be intimate and close with the Lord. How do I get it right if it happens to be wrong? And so a couple things in Acts chapter three, write these verses down. In Acts chapter three, verse 19, in the middle of message, Peter, Peter's preaching. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And as Peter preached to the group there, he says, you know what, guys, if you guys repent, turn away from your sin and turn back to God. Your sins will be blotted out. God will wipe away your sins and times of refreshing will come from his presence. As now you've repented and turned back to him, God will refresh you in his presence. And so for some, that may be it. Maybe just repentance, turning away from, it seems like repentance is always the remedy of getting things right with the Lord. Turning away from whatever it is back to the Lord. Also in, in Revelation chapter two, verse five, write that down. As Jesus was speaking to the church in Eph, the church of Ephesus, the church that had left their first love and he was giving them the remedy, how to get it right. You guys have left your first love. And he said, look, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And then he says, and do the first works. And I always like to say, remember, repent, and repeat. Remember from where you have fallen, repent, turn away from sin, turn back to God, and repeat. Go back to doing what you were doing when things were right between you and the Lord. Here's the wonderful thing that Christ makes available to you and me through the cross, is that you can come back. If you have fallen away, you can return. If you have gone the wrong way, you can return. And God's one word remedy for everybody listening, everybody will hear this for all generations, repent. If it's not right, if it's not intimate, if it's not close with the Lord, if God's glory is departed from you, if God's presence is, is you not experiencing God's presence, repent. Turn away from whatever you got yourself into and turn back to the Lord. And here's the wonderful thing about God, you guys, he'll receive you back. Uh, and I'll close with this. I love the story of the, the prodigal son. Because, I mean, it just speaks to me on a very real level. This son was rebellious. Uh, he went to his dad and said, Dad, give me what I get when you die. Give me my inheritance. I want my inheritance now. And the dad gave it to him. And it says that he went out and lived a you know, riotous living and partied and had a good time. And when he ran out of money and he was broke and he couldn't find a job and he was in a pig sty feeding pigs their slop and was thinking about eating the pig's Food, it says he came to himself and he said, you know what? My dad has hired servants. Look, I'm a, I know I'm going to go back. He had his pre-planned speech. I'm going to tell my dad, dad, I'm not worthy to be your son, but just make me like one of your hired servants. Just give me a job, dad. And hey, let me let me back. I need I need I need a place to stay and food to eat. And it says when his dad saw him afar off. And you got to know in the story of the prodigal son that we're getting a picture of the heavenly father. That dad represents the heavenly father. Right. That son's been a jerk. That represents you and me. And we've done wrong. We were disrespectful as we could be. And um, and it says when the dad saw him afar off, he got up and he ran. He was a rich man. Rich men don't run, but he ran because it was his son. He says he ran out to where his son was, fell on his neck, kissed him and he restored him. Why? Because he came back and he celebrated when the son that was home all the while didn't realize why are you making a big fuss for him and he went out there and lived all crazy I'm, I'm here being obedient and doing all the right things and, and his dad said man you understand that he was dead now he's alive we got to celebrate that and but but we got a picture of the heavenly father that says you can come back after that 
after spending all your money and being disrespectful and living a riotous life? And God says, yeah, yeah, when you turn, I'll receive you. If he can come back, you can come back. Amen. So anybody listening, that is, if you're not experiencing God's glory, God's presence, come back. Come back to him. We know there are many ways that you can spend your day, but we're delighted that you chose to spend time with us today in the book of 1 Samuel. Pastor Bill is the voice behind these teachings here on A Transforming Word. We genuinely trust that what you're hearing is truly having a transforming effect on your life through listening to God's Word. What is standing out to you about the book of 1 Samuel? Is it the character of Samuel and how he came to the position he did in Israel? Perhaps your curiosity is piqued by the accounts of young David fighting off wild animals and even fighting against a giant enemy. There are all kinds of accounts of fights, chases, and running away from someone who was once trusted. There are also great moments of David and Jonathan and their friendship. This Old Testament book can be such a treasure of information, history, and life lessons. We hope that you're connecting with it in multiple ways today. A Transforming Word is a radio ministry based out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, in Inglewood, California. Would you come visit us? Sunday morning services are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. For those not in the area, you can live stream our service on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram. Look for links on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Our time with you today is about up, but please join us again for the next edition as Pastor Bill continues to teach through the book of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep learning and growing in the Word, and be expected for another great message here on A Transforming Word.